Thanks. Well, this week I was at a uh, cookout party, and uh, the table that I was sitting at was filled with a whole bunch of physicians. And to be honest, I'm married to a a physician, and she's not dull and boring, but sometimes they can be. And some of you know, because you go to some of these. And so uh, I'm at this table, and things are kind of going low, and I'm thinking also that I have, you know, uh, an illustration that I need on mistakes that people make. So I just go ahead and I say, well, uh, what is the most embarrassing mistake any of you ever made as physicians? And... You know, I really thought that immediately there would be, like, tons of responses. Like, you know, people would be just, you know, oh, let me tell you. And it was like deafening silence. I mean, I don't know if doctors don't want to admit their mistakes or, you know, there's some anal things there with them. But anyways, no one really said anything. And people, I mean, it was like they are trying, but nothing was coming out. And finally, uh, one guy said, well, when I was in medical school, I had the responsibility of, just escorting a congressman, a U.S., uh, you know, Indiana congressman, uh, to have a treadmill test for his heart. And he was in his boxer shorts and his uh, T-shirt. And so as I was escorting, they wanted to make sure that nobody really saw him. So they were trying to take him around, you know, different back halls and that kind of stuff. And uh, <laughs> the guy led him to a place where he went down the wrong hallway and he realized he was in trouble at that point. So then he went back to try to retrack and he, the door had locked behind him and they were stuck. And so here's this U.S. congressman, you know, with his uh, T-shirt and his boxer shorts on. And so this guy was like, this isn't good, you know. And so he took him to the stairwell and put him like underneath it and said, Congressman, you stay there, and I'll come back later. And the guy stayed there for like 20 minutes until he found his way to come back, and he got him. Now, I thought, you know, that's embarrassing. That's pretty good. All right, let's have a few more. You know, and to be honest, there really wasn't any. I mean, no one really admitted mistakes. Well, this got me to thinking about my own role as a pastor and some of the mistakes that I've made. Uh, embarrassing ones, and so uh, I had a top ten list pretty quickly, actually. Um, but I'm just going to give you number one and two, okay? And here it is. Uh, the first one, I was pastoring in Flora, Indiana. There are more hogs than people there. And uh, we're uh, in this church. There's about 80 people. And uh, one of the leaders of the church, his name's Atley. Atley's uh, dad died. And Atlee was born and raised Old German Baptist Brethren. Now, Old German Baptist Brethren, they have churches that look like this, but they're very uh, connected to the Amish. And everyone wears black, uh, and they have beards with no mustaches. Uh, the women uh, typically wear black with, uh, you know, some kind of prayer covering, bonnet, you might call it, but it really is a prayer covering. And um, so his dad dies, and... Uh, the old German Baptist brethren in Flora had never invited any outside pastor ever to come to participate in anything. 
But Atlee was a banker, his family was extremely wealthy, and he's like, I want my pastor to be there, and so they let me come. So we get to this white church, and uh, these are pictures of uh, kind of what they would look like. And uh, they all wore black, and uh, the men sat on one side, and the women sat on the other side, and there were these hard wood benches. And we're sitting there, and the pastor gets up, and he's a big guy, and he has this long beard, and he just starts doing like this hellfire brimstone, you know, message. And I'm like, whoa! And he didn't have a single note. I mean, for two hours, you're sitting there, and this guy's just going on, sweats beating down, you know what I mean? He's like into it. And I'm like, man, I've never had a funeral, you know, service like this before. And so finally, you know, we're done, and Jennifer was sitting beside me, and we get up, and, and they only drive black cars. You can't drive anything that's colorful, but they do let you have a vehicle. And so we drive to uh, the cemetery, and they have another brother. That's what they call him. This other brother gets up, and he starts quoting tons of Scripture about life and death. And again, no notes. He just is kind of doing it himself. And so... You know, I'm getting kind of pumped up like, man, this is, this is going to be my moment. And so I get up there and the brother finally finishes the scriptures and he goes, and now Pastor Bunch will give the Lord's Prayer. And now I've memorized the Lord's Prayer before, you know. So I'm thinking to myself, hey, I'm going to be up with these guys. I don't need any notes, you know. So I kind of get up there and I go, <laughs> like that. Because that's what they did. They all kind of cleared their throat first. And I said, let us pray. And then I started. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. And I totally forgot the Lord's Prayer. I start looking like in my jacket, my pants, you know, where's my crib notes? And I can't find them anywhere. And, you know, I'm getting embarrassed. And so I look up like this and there's all these bearded people in black looking at me like, you know, they didn't say it, but in their eyeballs, they're like, what an idiot, you know? (laughs) He doesn't even know the Lord's Prayer. That's why we don't invite pastors to come to our church, you know? And so (laughs) Jennifer... (laughs) She's sitting over there, and her head just goes down. You know, I'm thinking there's going to be support, like, honey, it's okay, or I'll bring, you know, you know, like a, the Lord's Prayer for you. Or maybe she'll just go, you know, in our church, the women do the second part, you know, and, you know, something like that. But she doesn't do anything. And I get eye contact, and then she puts her head down. Like she's like holy and praying, you know. And so I just make up the Lord's Prayer. I throw stuff in there. I don't even know what I'm doing. And finally I get to the end and I go, Amen! You know? And this old guy came up he put his arms around me and he goes, That was interesting. You know? And that, that was a... The second embarrassing moment happened here at the jar. This was in the very early days, about week two or three after we went public. Uh, we used to have this uh, divider down and we met on this side and the band would sit right there and we had about 70 chairs. And uh, one of the first few times I invited anyone who wanted to accept Christ to come up, and I would pray for him. 
Well, there were a couple women that usually sat close to each other named Kathy and Kim. And uh, one of them came up, but I couldn't remember which one. So uh, I just thought, well, I'm pretty convinced that this is Kathy. And so Kathy, you know, comes up and I hold her hand. And I, I said, well, Kathy, I'm so excited. This is such a great day. And, you know, I'm ready to pray. And, you know, let's just pray. You'll, you can accept Christ right now. And so I went ahead and I said, uh, Heavenly Father, you know, Kathy stands here today to accept you as Lord. She confesses of her sin. And Kathy, if you want, why don't you just silently, just kind of start confessing a few sins. And she, she goes, okay. And she confesses everything. And, and then she's done. And I say, well, God, let Kathy know right now that all of her sins are forgiven. Let her know that she's totally loved. I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would just come and rest on Kathy in a beautiful way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I give her a real big hug, and I say, hey, congratulations, Kathy. And then she goes, my name's Kim. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what an idiot. You know, I mean, she had a name tag on it. It said Kim. <laughs> the entire time, you know. So then, you know, at that point, what do you do? You say, okay, well, let's do Kim now. You know, where, where's Kathy? You know, like, I, I don't know. Well, folks, we all make mistakes. And most of the time, we can laugh at our mistakes. And if we can't laugh immediately, we kind of laugh, you know, over a period of time. But some mistakes are different. Some mistakes just don't get funnier over time. Some mistakes actually get increasingly tragic over time. And many parental mistakes, I think, fall into this category. You know how it goes. Little Tommy's temper is really cute at the age of two. It's so cute that mom and dad don't really uh, do anything about it because it's just too cute to correct. But it's not nearly as cute at age 11 when Tommy's in school and he starts getting in detention every single week because he's fighting. His temper not quite as cute anymore. And when he gives his wife a black eye at the age of 22, it wasn't cute at all. And when he threw his son through a door at the age of 32, the humor really turns to horror. And many parental mistakes are like that. They don't get funnier over time. The years tend to multiply and the consequences build on some of those mistakes. And today what I want to zero in on are three mistakes that I've sensed from parents since I've been pastoring for 19 years, that it happens at an alarming frequency. And it's by people's own admission. Mistakes that cause parents much later on in life, and they'll come and they'll talk to me, and they'll say, you know, later on after their kids are out of the house, I really failed my kids. I didn't know it at the time, but years later I knew that I did. So I want us to look at three mistakes that parents make that often create regret. And the first one is this, regrets over discipline. Regrets over discipline. You know, I've often heard from parents, they'll come up to me and they'll say, you know, I was just way too hard on my kids. I was more like a drill sergeant, telling them what to do, when to do it. And the kids just kind of lived in this constant fear. I was very rigid with my kids. Another parent confesses, 
I was just way too inconsistent with my discipline. They never knew how I was going to react. One time, I disciplined one way, and the next time, it would be the same offense, and I would do something totally different. Another parent says, I lost my anger way too many times, more than I can count. I've done things that I have deep regret about. And some of you who are older in the parenting game, some of you may be like, yeah, I can identify with that. So there's one side where parents are way too punishment-driven, but there are other parents on the other side who are just way too free. A parent will say, man, I let my kids get away with high-rate robbery. I never set lines. I never drew limits. I never confronted any attitude problems. Whatever the kids did, there were no consequences for it. I just kind of let them run wild. And now they're paying the price for my mistakes, my lack of disciplining. They're irresponsible now, but it's too late because now they're adults and they're headed in trouble, but there's nothing I could do. You see, I think regrets over discipline actually probably rank as some of the highest regrets that parents have as they go through the parenting process. They see their critical errors. And the Bible says this, Young people are prone to foolishness and fads. The cure comes through what? Tough-minded discipline. In other words, the Bible kind of teaches us that because the presence of sin and evil is connected in every human heart, every human being, children are just kind of born with this bent towards rebellion. They're born with a bent towards self-centeredness and self-promotion. Children have a readiness uh, to lie and to cheat and manipulate. In short, if they don't get their way, they'll do whatever they can to get it. Now, I know that's none of your kids, but, you know, just like the, just these other kids I'm talking about. And the Bible says that if you don't, con- if you don't confront those sinful tendencies, if you don't stand up to them, if you don't have the power to expose them and identify them and get your kids to control those things internally, those sinful tendencies can shipwreck people's lives later on. Which is why the Bible says this in Proverbs 13.24. Let's read this one out loud together. A refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Love your children by disciplining. When you don't discipline your kids, I don't know how else to say it, you don't love them. And when you don't discipline your kids, you have potential to ruin their life. Now let me tell you how it goes. There's three-year-old little Lily. She is so cute. But she tells a fib. And the parents are just confident that she'll outgrow this, and so they don't do anything about it. But Lily grows up to be 13, and she's still lying. And finally, she lies about where she was at on a particular Friday night. And the parents go, well, you know, teenagers, every once in a while, they lie, and so, you know, it's no big deal, we'll just kind of let it go. But then Lily becomes 23 years old, And now she can't hold down a job because no one can trust her. Because she never says the truth. 
And then 33-year-old Lily finally gets divorced because her husband learns that she's incapable of telling the truth to him. And now Lily is 43 years old. And she is an isolated, pitiful, pathological liar. And her future has nothing but pain. And her parents eventually must someday look into the mirror face to face and say, you know those childhood fibs weren't so cute after all. You see, they failed, Lily, because no one stepped in. No one moved in. They didn't confront. They didn't discipline her. They didn't hold her to a line. Friends, discipline is serious business. And parents, grandparents, soon to be parents one day, if you really love your children, an expression of love that you have for your kids is that you discipline them. So I thought what I would do this morning is kind of give you some ABCs of how to have healthy discipline for your kids. What are a few things that you can do? Well, the first key is this. When you're disciplining, you need to clearly communicate your expectations with them. You have to clearly communicate your expectations with your kids. This is where you share with them exactly what you expect, and if they do it, there is a reward to that. doesn't mean you have to give them money. You don't have to, you know, some things are reward with, hey, you know what, great job. It might be a verbal thing. But there's something that you reward them for. And if they don't do it, then there's some consequence. Once expectations are clearly communicated, then it's the role of the parent to do the most important thing. And what's the most important thing once the expectations are set? Follow through. Look, some of you know this. Right? Now, I'll be honest enough to say that is the hardest thing to do, isn't it? To follow through. To be consistent. If they obey, you follow through, you give them rewards. And if they disobey, you follow through and you tell them what the consequences are. You've got to be consistent. And the more consistent you are, the more your kids understand what the expectations are. When you're not consistent and you start changing it halfway through because you're tired or you're overwhelmed or maybe it wasn't such a big deal, when that happens, all of a sudden, they get very inconsistent with their behavior. And the key is that you've got to have godly discernment. Because the question often becomes, did Liam break the rules on purpose? Was he defiant? Did mom and dad kind of put, you know, a line in the sand? And he's like, seriously? Jump! You know? And now, I'm going to tell you that I've crossed the line. What are you going to do about it? And if a kid is defiant, folks, you have to firmly step in. If he's defiant, you better stand up to him when he's two because if you don't, they'll be doing that when they're 22. And they'll probably be living in your house. So if you don't want them to live in your house, then you better be firm when they're two. You better show 
that there are limits and they're important in life, that there are authorities and you have to be connected to it. And you better understand it now. Don't get confused by the consequences that Liam needs to have for the rest of his life. And so parents, when it's defiance, you discipline firmly. But don't always be like that because sometimes maybe Liam just forgot the rules. Kids forget a lot of stuff, don't they? We, we have a rule that when we're at uh, the table that uh, they should use their cups in such a way that it doesn't spill. Do you know how many times they spill? At least once a week. Some of you are like, once a week, that's pretty good, you know? <laughs> but we all spill. You, you spill, don't you? I spill, we all spill. So, you know, you've got to have discernment. Sometimes kids just forget the rules. Or maybe it's, it's not necessarily defiance, but it's just absent-mindedness. Kids can be very absent-minded, depending on their personality. Sometimes they're like, whoa, you know? Two kids raised in the same house, but one is just absent-minded. So you're not as severe with the punishment. They're just absent-minded. Okay, the second basic rule for healthy discipline with your kids is misbehavior and inappropriate attitudes must be dealt with. Misbehavior and inappropriate attitudes must be dealt with. I see this so often with some parents. They'll wink at their kids like the kids just misbehaving, bad attitude, and they're like, <laughs> okay, honey, don't, don't do that anymore. And that kid's like, <laughs> I'm going to keep on doing it. You know, They like wink back and just keep doing it. You have to correct those things immediately with the spirit of discernment. Now, for younger children, the discipline might be time out. And uh, in our house, we do it uh, one minute for whatever their age is. Uh, my, my dad gets in time out every once in a while. He's 76. <laughs> he just sleeps, man. You know what I mean? We don't even know if he's alive. We don't, he might be dead. We don't know, you know, but he's like in timeout and he's sleeping. But that's a rule, you know, as a younger child, maybe one discipline is timeout. Another one, you might take a toy away. I remember one time with Jordan, we took a toy and we put it up where she could see it every single day for a week because she had been using her property really, really badly. And she wanted that toy. It's a great lesson for her to do. Um, and sometimes when they're defiant, a spanking sometimes is the thing. We spank for two reasons. One, if it's a character issue that is so bad that we know it's the only way that they'll change. Or number two, if they, if they break property. Because those are two things that we've decided in our home that character and damaging of other things will not be tolerated. Every once in a while, though, folks, another way you discipline is you give a grace moment. Sometimes the kids will do something. I'll say, you know what? We're going to give it a grace moment. I know you didn't necessarily mean it, buddy. I know you'll do better next time, won't you? And things will be fine. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, discipline with older children, I'm not there yet, but um, that has to be a little bit different. <laughs> Can you see you taking your 16-year-old? You're in timeout. No, you're in timeout. You know what I mean? You really want me here? No, you're right. Get out, you know. Like, leave, okay? But if they're older, uh, you might have to take privileges away. Cars, phones, you know, computer time, Xbox. Looks, 
Parents are giving me suggestions. Yeah. Appreciate that. Um, if, if you don't have chores for your kids, you add chores to them. Okay? You add that. Maybe you have them write a note of apology. They have a crappy attitude and they're treating somebody really bad. No, you're going to write something. Or maybe they break something and there's a repayment plan. You don't pay it for them. They work to repay whatever that is. Because the, the problem is, is that some of us just get way too overprotective and we don't give responsibility to our kids. And I'll go in that in just a little bit. But, uh, you know, it doesn't teach them that. Um, and discernment, you've got to read stuff. People are like, yeah, I don't have to read anything. I'm a parent. I know what. No, you don't. If you knew it all, then your kids wouldn't be messing up all the time. Right? My kids mess up on a regular basis. I'm reading. I'm praying. I'm asking other godly parents to give me some direction. Jennifer and I have a couple of parents who are further ahead of us, and we go to them regularly on a, you know, a monthly basis, asking them, hey, this is the situation. Oh, well, this is what we did. You've got to have people around you. Okay, here's a third basic idea to healthy discipline in your kids, and that is to give affirmations of love after you've disciplined them. That you give affirmations of love after you've disciplined your child. This is where you give them a warm embrace, you give an encouraging word, you explain to them that you care for them way too much that you cannot allow that particular destructive attitude to take place because you don't want that to be in their future. Now, I think I've shared with many of you that our youngest daughter, Shiloh, uh, is our strong-willed child. Uh, She has a different personality uh, than our older child. And I think she kind of knew I was teaching on parenthood, so she's like, let's test you this week, Dad. You know, just see how well you're doing. So we're getting ready for bed. And uh, Shiloh is at the bottom of the stairs. I'm already on the top of the stairs. And she starts whining, Daddy, I want you to bounce me. And I said, I will bounce you, but first of all, you need to walk up here. You need to bounce yourself on up here. And when you get up here, then you can brush your teeth and I'll bounce you to your room. No, Dad, I want you to bounce me now. I'm not bouncing you. So she's whining all the way up the stairs till she gets to the top where she decides this is a good place for a wine party. I'll just add a little cheese and I'll be right here. And so she falls down uh, on her back and she starts whining more. Now, we have a whining warning in our house. You get one. So some of you adults, if you come to our house and you start whining, you get one. Okay? That's it. So I said, Shiloh, this is your whining warning. If you do not stop, you are going to time out. Well, you know, that just was like, serious, Dad? You think that's going to do it? <laughs> whining morning, and she kept whining. And she added a little cry to it. You know what I mean? That's always a good effect for a kid. And I said, that's it, Shiloh, you're going in timeout. I go get her little chair. I put her little behind right in the chair. And I said, you're in timeout. Now, we do timeout where if you are still whining and yelling and screaming, time doesn't start, you know? And this is a kid that can sit there for hours, you know what I mean? And uh, I was like, you know, it doesn't start until then. You know, the whole world is ending. And finally, if it doesn't correct, we add time to it. So I'm like, oh, you just turned four, right? Oh, nope, actually, you just turned five. 
Now it's five minutes, you know. And finally, she calmed down, and uh, she was okay. But again, she's my strong-willed child. So when I get ready to go walk to her, she's on this chair. When I go ready to walk to her, to talk to her, you know, what's going on, why she was disciplined uh, this particular way, um, she starts, like, whining more. And she starts crying more. I mean, it, it was almost like, you know, she was like, okay, Dad, let's see how patient you really are. And at that point, uh, this is what I did. She's sitting on the chair, so I picked her up. I sat on the chair, little tiny kid chair. I put her on the chair. I have her facing away from me. I put my arms around her firmly, not to crunch her, but firmly. And I whisper as quietly as I can, Shiloh, until you calm down, you and Daddy can't talk. Now, at that point, I'm thinking, ah, oh, you know, this is what it says in the books. This, this should be good. That only added fuel to the fire. <laughs> Legs started kicking. Arms, you know, she can't move, but she's like, if I had arms, I'd be, you know, kicking you. I would wave at you, Dad, with only one finger right now. You know what I mean? And she's just like, but I can't use my fingers right now. And, you know, she's just going on and on. I just stay calmly. I go, Shiloh, until you calm down. Uh, you know, we, we can't do this. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, words start coming out of her mouth. I'm sure if she was older, there'd be other words, but these are the words that really get to the heart of it. She goes, you are mean. You're so mean, Daddy. I want Mommy, and you're hurting me. You're hurting me. So finally, I said, Shiloh, until you calm down, you can't do this. Finally, she calmed down. I get out of the chair. I put her back in the chair. I look to her, and I go, Shiloh, why are you in timeout? Because it's very important for your kids to admit what their behavior is. So I ask her, why are you in timeout? And she says, because I didn't obey. I was whining. Yeah, you know. I didn't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> but in my mind, I'm like, okay, good. And I'll say, now, what do you want to say to me? Because... This is the thing that we want in our house. And Jennifer and I do this. Sometimes we have to ask our kids for forgiveness. We did it this week. Uh, it wasn't me. Sometimes it is me, but it wasn't me this time. <laughs> Jennifer started lecturing on and on, and finally the lecture got to a point I'm like, oh, my word, we've already done everything, you know. And, and Jennifer, though, to her credit, she said, hey, guys, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I should have let this go. And so once you get the child... And I, I, I told her, I said, well, you're sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. And then I told her, I said, Shiloh, I love you. I forgive you. But I can't have you whining like that because that's not the way that God would want you to act. And I give her a hug and I give her affirmation. I take her little hand and we start uh, walking towards the bathroom because I, I was like, hey, let's go brush teeth now. And we're walking literally within 10 seconds. She stops. She kind of grabs my hand. My hand shakes it, and she goes, you're the best dad in the world. <laughs> Ten minutes ago, I was the evil stepdad. You know what I mean? Like, we don't even need your services here anymore. We'll get somebody different, you know? And now it was a totally different thing. And I just say that because I can't tell you how many wonderful moments of closeness I've had with my girls right after some form 
of discipline. And I would strongly encourage you, don't forget that even when they get older. We went on down. She brushed her teeth. We went back to her room. I cuddled her, held her. We read Pinkalicious for the millionth time. We should get rid of Pinkalicious. You know what I mean? Let's all write in. Maybe Pinkalicious would go if we did that. But I read Pinkalicious, and uh, then we do her her, uh, Bible reading. I prayed with her. We sang a couple songs. I put her in bed, and it's the same thing. Whether I had to discipline my kid or she had a great evening, I always look at them and I say, if I had to line up all the little girls in the world, I'd choose you number one. Because I would. And I'm just committed, folks, to disciplining in a way that their character gets better. Do I do this well all the time? Absolutely not. I'm sure the reason why I did it really well was because I'm teaching on parenthood right now. You know what I mean? Uh, Come back in uh, two months and you might see a different uh, kind of scenario. But don't ever underestimate the power of discipline. And Jennifer gave this example uh, to our family this week. And she said, I'm sorry. But once it's done, folks, it's done. Don't lecture them. Don't bring it back up again. Don't remind them 14 times about the uh, you know, 15 rules that you had. Let it go so that you can start and walk anew. Here's the last thing. Don't give up. Don't give up. Sometimes parents get so exhausted, your energy runs low, and you're tempted to give up the battle of disciplining your kids. And I just want to encourage you, don't give up. Persevere. I mean, there is too much at stake. And your kids are important. So you have to hang in there. Because the reality is, and this is so true, the season of parenting that you're in right now is a short season. I know that there are nights, like on Tuesday night, when you're like, seriously, will we ever get through this? But you talk to people who have parented longer and older and are wiser, and they'll tell you it goes like that. And so you're only in for a small season. But if you don't make that season count and you don't put healthy discipline, your family system later on will not have the openness and flowing that you'll want when they're in their 20s and 30s and 40s because you didn't take that seriously. Now, before I move on to the next point, let me just say this to some of our older parents. Some of you, uh, as I've been talking, you're like, wow, I can identify with that. You know, I was, I was way too hard and I was way too punish-oriented. Or maybe I didn't do anything at all. And I'll tell you what you could do with your older adult kids. In fact, I'd encourage you before the end of the month, make this commitment. Go to your kids and if you've parented in a way that wasn't very beneficial, that you would just go and say, you know what, I'm sorry. Two most powerful words that can help your adult relationship with your kids now is that you would just say, I'm sorry. I was 27 years old when my dad came to me and he said, I'm sorry for some things that, that had happened. I'm sorry that I put the church before you. And our relationship from that point on grew in ways I couldn't believe because he stepped up to the plate and he admitted where he had failed. And I just want to encourage you, if you're an older parent, 
Don't let another month go by. Don't let another Thanksgiving go by. Don't let another Christmas go by without getting that taken care of. Can you do that? I hope you will. Okay, here's the second mistake that parents uh, can make, and that is uh, they'll have regrets over how emotions were handled in the home, how emotions are handled in the home. Folks, feelings matter. Feelings really matter. Your feelings matter. My feelings matter. Your child's feelings matter. And when kids' feelings are ignored or ridiculed or suppressed or overpowered, it causes damage. I'm going to ask you a question here on the other side if you ever heard these words growing up as a kid. But sometimes we don't allow our kids to express any feelings because of phrases that were given to us uh, growing up. Maybe we were feeling really sad and we were crying about something. Did any of you ever hear phrases like this? Oh, what are you crying about? Quit being such a little baby. Shut off the waterworks. The pool is closed. And then here comes the kicker. Ah, stop crying. If you don't stop crying, I'll give you something what? Wow, you all had parents like that, didn't you? (laughs) Now, what's the underlying message when you put those things out there? Basically, what you're saying as a parent is you shouldn't be feeling what you're feeling. Your feelings don't count. You shouldn't be crying. You shouldn't be sad. Folks, when you tell your your kids that they shouldn't be angry, they shouldn't be mad, they shouldn't be too overly excited about something that seems menial to you, or they shouldn't be fearful, when you do this, you confuse your kids, and it's not good. A couple years ago, we were at Disney, and we go to uh, Everest Expedition. It's a roller coaster. Jordan had never been on a roller coaster before. I didn't want to go on the roller coaster. But my lovely wife was like, I'll take care of Shiloh, go right ahead, you know. And so we wait 85 minutes in a line. And I'm thinking she's going to be scared, so, you know, if she feels scared, I want to, you know, embrace that emotion. She wasn't scared of anything. She held my hand. But we get up there, and there's this long list of all these things that could happen to you if you're on the ride. Like, basically, you might get on, but you're close to death, you know? I mean, that's basically it. And I can't tell you how many times I've been at Kings Island or somewhere else where a little kid's going for the very first time, and I get the idea that you want to help them get over their fear and that kind of stuff, but I've seen parents before get them up there before and like, don't be afraid, quit being a scaredy cat, just get over it. And I'm like, dude, come here, bam, you know, like, seriously, I'm standing behind your kid and I'm scared, you know. And so you can't squelch what they're feeling. What they're feeling is what they're feeling. It creates issues and distance later on in life when you try to ignore them or suppress them or push them down. Ephesians 6.4 says this. I hope you guys remember this one long after today, parents. And now a word to you parents. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with loving discipline 
the Lord himself approves with suggestions and godly advice. Today, there are tens of millions of adults who are walking uh, walking around with resentment in their eyes because their parents didn't know how to handle emotions. And so they tried to push it down. They tried to make them feel shameful when they cried. And they've outlawed it. And some of you know what I'm talking about. I talked to a guy right before we were getting ready to leave uh, from the first celebration. And he said, man, I'm so glad you just shared that because in my house you could never cry. And I thought, man, this guy's in his 60s now. And he was almost on the verge of tears just a few minutes ago. And it was because no one ever affirmed his feelings. And you've got to do it constructively. If you don't do that, then it doesn't help at all. But people have feelings. And you know what the Scripture actually says? God had feelings. It says that Jesus had feelings. One time, Jesus was really angry. One time, Jesus was crying. Jesus had feelings. And your kids have feelings. And effective parenting means that you help them navigate what their feelings are. It means, parents, that if you have a 12-year-old, Liam, and he's angry about something, you don't tell him, don't be mad. No, it's okay to be angry. Jen does this a lot better than I do. A girl will be angry and upset about something, and she'll tell him, it's okay to be angry. Your dad gets angry all the time. You know? There's always like this long pause. Your dad gets angry all the time. But mom gets angry, dad gets angry, grandpa gets angry, grandma gets angry, people get angry. But you've got to help them to express it in constructive ways. And you have to correct their anger when they go in their room and they start breaking stuff. Or they backslap their brother. That's not ways that you handle anger appropriately. And there are consequences to that. There's no violence going to happen here. So, Lynn... We're going to let you learn how to handle your emotions constructively. And parents, again, like I said before, you've got to read, you've got to pray, you've got to network with other parents to try to figure out how do you develop skills so that your kids can share their emotions in constructive ways. Because then you shepherd their heart in a way that money can't buy later on when they're adults and they're functioning well. So how about it, parents? Would your kids today say that I uh, can express my feelings and my feelings matter in our home? Do they feel like they can be free to communicate? And are you shepherding them in a way that helps them to have constructive thoughts and constructive ways to deal with their emotions rather than destructive? Okay, Uh, one final mistake that parents... uh, have and sometimes uh, have regrets over. Regrets over the failure to produce responsibility and character in the lives of my kids. That's a, there's regret over failure to produce responsibility and character in the lives of my kids. I want Jordan and Shiloh to be able to be responsible for their own lives, and I want them to do it with Christ-like character. 
Now, I'm going to show you a chart here that when a baby uh, is first born, the responsibility level for a baby is 0%. The other side is dependency. When a baby is first born, the dependency factor of that child is what? 100%. And the key to effective parenting is that as a child gets older with discernment, that the responsibility level goes up and the dependency level goes down. And as a parent, it should be your goal to help the dependency factor continue to go down the older that they get and that the responsibility factor goes up. One of the things we do in our house right now is mom cooks the food. You need to take your trays and put them at least into the sink. A four-year-old can do that. Six-year-old can do that. Okay? Some of you are like, my 14-year-old can't do that. You know what I mean? But you've got to have some responsibility that you give to them. And I've been asking myself, you know, what kind of messages do my girls get when it comes to this whole issue of responsibility and dependency? And what sources uh, are, are there that are affecting their lives? A few years ago, uh, Jordan was uh, four years old, and I decided that we would uh, try to see if she would like uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And so I had not seen that movie in a long time, and so I watched it myself. And after I'd watched it, I thought to myself, Snow White is a horrible role model for my girls. A horrible role model. I don't want Jordan to follow someone like that. Here's a woman hiding from her stepmother because she feels helpless and afraid. She takes a job doing menial labor for seven short, cranky guys because she's afraid she could never find more fulfilling work. And she's sitting around passively waiting to get rescued by somebody and singing, one day my prince will come. I want my little daughters to know, don't ever do that. If you're in the situation, you confront your stepmother face to face. Tell her to come to grips with the aging process. Give her a card to go see a healthy therapist. And tell the seven short, cranky guys to get a life. Tell Sneezy to get his own Kleenex. Tell Happy to quit sitting around thinking that life is a bed of roses. Tell Grumpy to take some medicine. Tell Dopey to get over his low self-esteem. And tell Sleepy to quit sleeping and go get a job. Tell Doc that women are just as wise to lead as men are and tell Bashful to get over it. In fact, tell all seven of them to get over it because you're not going to enable their codependency anymore. And stop waiting. Stop waiting for your prince to come and rescue you. Build deep relationships. Have meaningful work. Serve the poor. And when it's time to choose a prince, let Daddy decide who the prince is going to be. <laughs> Friends, when responsibility does not get developed in a human life, a person gets crippled. 
Responsibility is the capacity to own my own life and my own problems. It's nobody else's. The Bible says this. Let's read it out loud together. Each of you should carry your own load. Each of you should carry your own load. Everybody, you've got to own your own life. Or it's going to be miserable. And parents, you can't wait until the kid is 18 to start teaching this lesson. Because if you wait that long, it's too late. Now here's an example that often occurs in parenting all the time. A child will come up to a parent and say, I'm bored. How many of you have ever heard that before? Okay? Most of them. I'm bored. And very often, they'll be very tempted to take that on as their own problem. The mom will hear this, and they'll take that on, and all of a sudden, they'll start generating ideas. It's almost like you're at a slow-pitch game. Mom's out there. She's the pitcher. She's pitching up the ideas. Here we go. And so she'll generate an idea, and she'll say, well, why don't you go outside and play? No, that's boring. Well, why don't you call your friends and have them come over? No, I don't think anybody's at home. And mom keeps on, you know, pitching some more. Well, why don't you draw me a picture? Why don't you write a letter? Why don't you play a video game? Do a science experiment. Memorize a chapter of the Bible. Read War and Peace. Take your, take your uh, you know, toothbrush and go scrub the toilet, you know? There's a lot of ways not to be bored. And the child can look at you and be like, no, 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 no. What else you got? Pitch something up up here. And they'll just keep hitting every time you pitch it. Now, what is the child learning in this problem? My boredom is whose problem? Your problem. It's your job to keep me entertained. And if that's what they're learning, they'll go through their whole life waiting for somebody else to come along to make their life interesting, fulfilling, easier, more comfortable, more workable. And I'm telling you, that's a miserable way to live. Now, on the boredom deal, the correct response is, if your kid comes up to you and they go, I'm bored, you look at them and you say, you know what, boredom, you're right, it's a tough thing. But I have a feeling that you have all the capacity in the world to figure it out. And so why don't you do that on your own and then you walk away and you let them figure it out. It builds character. And I'm just telling you folks, if you don't do this, when they're 18, 19, or 20, they'll still be in your house because you've never taught them how to do that. So teach them early on. Each should carry his or her own love. You know, I've been thinking it over these days, and... uh, you know, giving your children everything you want, and I think about that, you know. Uh, overprotecting them, I don't want that to happen. Because it's a sure way to produce a kid who doesn't have responsibility or character or an inner strength to be able to compete in this world. And if you want to look at an example, look at God the Father. God the Father gave a challenge to His Son and said, your challenge is to go to the cross and die for the sins of all people. And Jesus took the challenge on. And just as God the Father gave Jesus the challenge, we must challenge our kids as well. Now in closing uh, this whole series on parenthood, I just want to close again by saying this. There is no such thing as a perfect parent. Not in the human world. 
God the Father is perfect, but we're not. My parents weren't perfect. Your parents weren't perfect. Jen and I are far from perfect. We're trying our best, but we have a long way to go to even get some things right sometimes. And you're not perfect either. But even though we may never be perfect parents, it does not mean that we can't be better parents. You can take your parenting up a notch. And if you're a grandparent, you can take that up a notch. And I'm praying that... uh, something that I've said over the last three weeks or something that God, more importantly, has said to you would inspire you to become a better parent. And we've given a lot of different resources and there'll be some more resources that'll come up on the screen. And uh, the only problem is sometimes you see these resources and they're in your program and and you go, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then you throw the program away and you forget it. And so we're doing something a little bit different today. If you go to the resource table today, we have a little card. You can check off what resource you want. We're going to order it, and uh, we'll call you and say, hey, your resource is here. Because all of you should try to, if you're in the parenting role, have something that you're reading to get better at what you're doing. Why don't you push your parenting up a notch? Well, we're going to close in prayer and I'll invite everybody to stand up and I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up. And I was thinking about how we would close our series out. And I was just thinking that what parenting really needs most of all is courage. We need some courage. And so here's the two ways that people are going to pray with you if you come up here. The first one is, if you're an older parent, you have adult kids, and you need some courage to like go to them and say, I'm sorry, and you haven't done that in a long time, but you need some prayer to kind of help you have the courage to do that, you can come up here and they'll just ask you your name and what do you need prayer for? I need courage to go to my kids and say, I'm sorry for some things and pray for that. Or maybe some of you are young parents and And you need some courage to, like, have a discipline plan. You haven't really thought about it. And it's never too late, regardless of the age of your kids. Because our Heavenly Father is courageous, and He wants parents to get healthier. He wants you to get better. He's your biggest cheerleader cheering you on. And I hope today that some of you would would take some prayer of knowing how to do that. Because surrendering to Him will make parenting so much easier when you seek his guidance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in just a few moments, we're going to, many of us will leave and we'll go upstairs and we'll retrieve some of our most precious treasures. And God, help us to know today that the stakes are high. Help us to realize that the season you've given to us to raise our kids is short. Give us the courage to do, to do parenting your way. Help us to know how to prepare our kids for this life and for all of eternity. And when we leave from this place, let us know that you walk beside us to help us to become more effective parents. We thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.